You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. part of those two conferences, the men's conference this coming weekend. And uh, pray for me, I won't be, I'll be in Florida preaching a men's conference uh, Friday and Saturday, and then I'll be right back here for next Sunday. Uh, But uh, you men take advantage of that, and you ladies take advantage of uh, uh, the opportunity to go and to uh, spend some time together and study, and then working at one of our church plants down in New Orleans. Let me give you two other quick things. One is the Valley View Interest Meeting. Some of you may feel called to go there. You may say, you know, God's calling us to go and to put our life in there and uh, to work there. Then let me encourage you to do that. Um, And the other is that you may feel uh, led to go and say, hey, we'll go work for a month or two months or three months or six months. And uh, you are interested in doing that to go and help them at the end of this uh, of the second service in the big room at 12:15 there's going to be an interest meeting and then uh, don't forget we're coming up um, tomorrow begins our 21 days of prayer for the one mission conference here many of you probably have never been to that i'm excited for you it's one of my favorite times of the year i love it because there's so much food it, you get to eat and eat and eat and visit and visit and eat and all of that. So it's a great time to meet our partners in missions around the world. Many of you ought to be praying about going and being a part of a week uh, that uh, will take some time this year to go and work with our partners. Now, let me just show you if you, you, you just you just wonder, it, it's amazing to me what I hear out of people. And uh, we got this last night from Germany. There's a young guy that I taught a little bit over in Germany. Uh, we support the German seminary. That's what they call a food tray. It's a, right, for the Super Bowl. Now, they'll stay up. What time does that thing come on? Mid- well, it'll be midnight or one or two or something like that over there for them. He's built this thing. Uh, th- these people listen to us every week. Show the next That's a food tray that they're going to use. You can't see it, but back there in the back corner, one of the signs happens to be Valleydale Church. So he's, they've got, you know, they're ready for the game in Germany tonight. They just listen to us every week. So um, that's, the guy's name is Ordy. Um, A great guy. In fact, I think he's going to be here in the state sometime. Anyway, now take your copy of God's word and... uh, Speaking about Super Bowl, um, trophies. Uh, Several years ago, Deb, I think it was about the time that Elvis movie came out, she said, I'd like to go to Graceland. I said, you have got to be kidding me. And uh, she said, no. She said, I've always wanted. I said, you know, I never knew that. 
But if you want to go there, sure, we'll take off and go. So we drove into Elvis Presley Boulevard, and I was really surprised in a lot of ways. Uh, one, I was shocked to see this huge welcome center over on one side that um, it, it looks like a strip mall, but it's not. It was it cost hundreds, uh, it cost millions of dollars, somewhere I think over a hundred million dollars. Uh, I read in one place that they built this whole massive complex of stores and stores and stores and restaurants and theaters and all of this stuff. So we pulled up in there to begin with, it's right across from uh, the house, uh, Graceland, and went through and what I discovered was this, it was nothing more than just simply a trophy case of the life of Elvis. You've got Elvis clothes, you've got Elvis outfits, all the, you know, and they've got write-ups on all, the most fascinating thing to me were the cars, um, all of the cars, and they were just trophy cars, all of this stuff, just trophies of his life, and then you walk over to the house and you get into the house and eventually, I think I've got a picture of this, it's kind of amazing, they call it the golden hallway or the hallway of gold. And you walk down this long hallway and there are just these gold records that he has, was awarded from the top you know, of the ceiling all the way to the floor, this long, long winding hallway. Well, evidently I don't have it. So uh, you just walk through that into this massive trophy room. And there are trophies everywhere. And I walked away from there thinking that, you know, all of this is, it's just a trophy case. Uh, the whole thing, everything about it is just one gigantic trophy case to the life and the legend of Elvis Presley. Well, I walked away and it was kind of sad to me personally, um, but uh, we walked out of there and I began to think about that. You know, people put trophies up all over. It's interesting to go in people, as a pastor, I get to go in a lot of people's homes and I'll walk in. It's interesting to see what they've got up. The tro they've got golf trophies. They've got trophies of their kids in little league. They've got trophies, you know, we've got, we've even got wrestling trophies up of the boys and we've got, you know, Nothing for me, but, uh, um, but trophies from them. And I've had uh, a couple of newspapers, uh, at least three times, the new, a newspaper had come to my office and said, we want to do an interview on what you have up in your library. Because in my library, I have all of these busts of generals. They're, I guess you would say they are trophies. You know, I've got the Duke of Wellington. I've got um, uh, Lord Nelson, I've got Winston Churchill. I, I'm, I know you're shocked at that. Um, uh, David, there's a bust of David uh, that is in there. Napoleon, several of Napoleon. Um, Julius Caesar, Robert, Le Robert E. Lee, uh, George Washington, uh, Abraham Lincoln, all of these. And they, they always ask the question, why do you have this and not statues of Jesus, you know? I don't know what it says about me. I don't, I don't have a clue. Maybe I want to get in a war or something, you would think, I, I suppose. But uh, it's interesting. You can tell a lot about a person by the things that they have as trophies. Now, Paul's going to talk about that. 
And he's going to talk about what God has as trophies uh, for all of eternity. And it's talked about in chapter 2 of Ephesians. You come to one of the most remarkable passages, really, in all the Word of God. And uh, as you come to it, I want to I tell you a couple of things about it as you come to chapter 2 and verse 1. You see the first word there in the New American Standard is and. It's a conjunction. It means that it, the, the sentence finally ended in verse 23. It went from verse, um, what was it, 15, all the way down through verse 23, and there's a period there. And it begins another sentence uh, in verse 1 of chapter 2, and it's with this conjunction. And you say, well, why is that important? Because it, it connects it back to what he's just been doing. And what he's just been doing is he's been praying for the eyes of our heart to be enlightened so that we could grasp this whole thing of God's salvation. And so he continues that. That's why the and is there. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. That's the next thing that he comes to that's really become controversial in some circles. He's talked about back in chapter one, he's praised God for our salvation. He's thanked God for our salvation. Then he came in verse 15 and he started praying. And in that praying, he's praying, God, let them understand, let them grasp, let them see, let them get a hold of the fact that, um, that you have saved them and what their salvation means, what it's really all about, what it looks like from your perspective. And so he's going to pick up on that. And he comes and he, he says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Now, this begins to deal with an issue that is called total depravity. Now, there are other names for it. That's the name that is most widely known. Uh, I could spend uh, th the next three hours, if I knew enough about it, just talking about the whole issue of total depravity, and it probably would do no one in here any good. So I think it's safe to just say we were all sinners. We could not save ourselves. We were desperately in need of a Savior to come and save us. Jesus Christ did that. That's what he's going to talk about. So I think it's safe that all of us would agree on that and not get into the issues of inherited sin or inherited guilt or all of the other issues that roll up into what is called total depravity. The fact of the matter is, you were a sinner, I was a sinner, until Jesus came along. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. I'm going to tell y'all are all wrought up this morning. So let's get to the passage and let's begin to look at that. Paul comes and he talks about this and he talks about how God saved us and the process of that and in the process of God saving us in Christ, we have become his trophies of grace. Now, he's going to talk about that, but I want to get you down to it. And I want to show you two things, give the invitation, and then we're going to gather around the Lord's table. And what a great passage to preach uh, and to move right into uh, uh, the Lord's Supper. So, number one, I want you to look at how we were trophies of hell in the past. We used to be a trophy of hell. 
Um, but thank God for Jesus Christ. And he's going to show you this. We were dead, and listen, there are a lot of different metaphors in Scripture to talk about our life outside of Christ. Uh, you'll, you'll find in um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 12, uh, that we're referred to as spiritually sick. It was much more than that, but we were spiritually sick. Uh, it speaks of us being spiritually blind, Matthew 15, 14, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Uh, we were lovers of darkness, John 3, 19. Uh, we were dead. Luke talks about it in Luke chapter 15, verse 24. John talks about it in John chapter 5, verse 24. Paul talks about it here in um, uh, uh, chapter 2 in verse 1. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Now, let me just, let me just talk about that for a minute. Because every metaphor will break down at some point. We were dead, yes. When Adam sinned, he died immediately in his spirit. That is, the relationship between he and God absolutely went dead. He began to die physically in his body. That is, his body all of a sudden entered into that aging process and would eventually lie down in physical death. So you come to this and you have to stop and think about this just a little bit. We were dead so we could do nothing. In a sense, that's true. Yes and no. Let me ask you a question. When you were in your sin, were you as evil as you could be? Some of you say yes. Your wife has poked you, hasn't she? Um, were you, did you do the worst you could absolutely do? Probably not. Now, let me ask you this. As a Christian, are you as good as you could be? Now, y'all are sure about that, aren't you? The other, you're kind of questioning. You were not really, I, I'll tell you, you were not as evil, but you were as lost as you could be. With the sin that you did involve yourself in, you were lost. You could not save yourself, and uh, you needed desperately uh, to have a Savior come and do, do that. So Paul comes here and he says, you're just dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. And being dead in our trespasses and sin, and by the way, there are two Greek words for death in the New Testament. One is nekros, and that is spiritual death. I'm spiritually separated from God. The other is thanatos. I am physically dead. My body dies. But both of those words will indicate a separation from God. That's what Paul is talking about here. We were dead. That is, we were spiritually separated from God. And then he's going to show you why we were spiritually separated, how that all came about. I'm not going to go back to original sin and deal with all that, but I want you just to look at what he says right here. Number one, he comes in verse two, you were formally, in which you were formally walking. You formally walked according to the course of this world. That is, we listened to what the world had to say. We listened to what those around us had to say. We listened to the television, we listened to the movies, we listened to the magazines that we read. We just listened to every voice that was speaking to us, and we decided that the way to live was the way the rest of the world was living. So we walked according to the course of this world. That was sin. We walked the way the world told us to walk. 
We just went along with the crowd. So many of us still do, but we just went around with the crowd at that time, and that's the way we lived. That was the sin. That, that was what made us dead in trespasses and sin. But now look at the second thing. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, what happens here is this. Paul just comes and he tells us uh, that there is a devil, that there are demons, and that um, we are influenced and we are manipulated so many times uh, by the spirit world that we don't see. He just comes and he pulls back the curtain and he says, just look what is in this spirit world back here. He's already listed all of those powers in chapter one. And he says, they influenced you. Uh, they encouraged you. They were there setting up situations for you to walk into. Uh, and you say, well, now, see, that's not my, no, you, you walked into every one of them. They didn't make you do it. Even though there is a spiritual world that is actively manipulating the world situation to draw man into greater and greater disobedience. Do you have any doubt that the October 7th attack on Israel from Hamas was inspired by anybody else other than Satan himself? Well, he's at work. He's alive. And he used to lead us around by the ring of desire that was in our spiritual nose. And he wanted us to just live in complete rebellion and disobedience against God, against his truth, against his word, and against God's design and God's plan for our lives. He comes to the third thing. Look at this. You get down to verse three, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. Well, what were we doing? What did we do in the lust of our flesh? We indulged the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's what we did. Anything our body told us to do, we did it. Sadly, we, we don't have much discipline in our life uh, to live differently right now because generally whatever you know, we feel like doing, we do it. Whatever it is, if it is good, if it is wicked, if it is sinful, if it is godly, if it's something that we want, we generally just walk right into it. So in the flesh, that's what we did. We just would walk into sin. And it was not just the sin of the flesh, it was also in the mind. Satan is constantly throwing things into your mind. That's really all he can do is to constantly implant in your mind this thing or that thing or this other thing over here. And he spends time, he knows you individually. He knows what sets you off. He knows what pushes your button. He knows even now in the midst of a sermon like this, he knows how to draw your attention away when you don't want to hear something like this. And so he just throws constantly all of these thoughts and patterns into your mind. Why do you think, you know, if I, if in speaking to men's conferences, um, and I know I've got a mixed crowd here, but a lot of times to men, I think, why do you think when you go to pray that you think nothing of, uh, uh, but of uh, some temptation in your life? And I don't, I don't want to say it, but we can mind meld right here. You know what I'm thinking. You know what, you know, why is that? Why is that when you go to pray that Satan just constantly starts throwing that stuff into your head? 
or he'll constantly start throwing past sins into your head um, because he doesn't want you to pray. That's the main reason right there. But that's what he does. He goes around and he is constantly throwing these things, these desires from our flesh and these thoughts from our mind. He is throwing all of that. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, you've got to grab every single thought and take it captive all the way to the throne of Jesus Christ. So he says, that's who we were. That's how we lived our life. That was the direction of our lives. We lived that way. That was our past. That was us before we were saved. We were dead in those trespasses and in those sins. That was our guilt. Now that's all the dark stuff right there. Let me get to the other stuff secondly. And that is, we have become now trophies of God's salvation. We were trophies of hell. Satan could show us off and say, look at what I've done in this guy's life. Look at how well he follows me. And he doesn't even realize he's following me. But something happened. Verse 4, two monosyllable words in verse 4. But God, but God. I was dead in my trespasses and sin, but God, you see. I I was formerly walking according to the course of this world, but God. I, I was walking according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, but God, you see. I was among them, we too, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, but God, and of the mind, but God. And I was by nature a child of wrath. I was set up for wrath. I was set up for the judgment of God, but God, you see, but God. You need to put that in your life. You need to put that into your vocabulary. You need to put that in what you say from day to day. When any decision comes up and you're torn between what should I do, then just say, but God, what would he have me do? But God died for me. But God saved me from wrath. But God gave me new life. Now that's all that's going to come out of this. That's what's going to come out now uh, from verse 4 on down to at least verse 7. I really should go through verse um, 10, but I'll get that next week. So he comes and he says, but God. And just listen to what he says. Being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our transgressions made us alive together. That's one single word in the Greek (sighs) soon as o oi poi oi sin that's the word it is you know you got all these consonants in there anyway that's the word and let me tell you look at that look at that word right there Uh, it's one single word in the greek right there made us alive together by the way that's past tense i might deal with that in just a few moments but that's past tense. That being made alive together, it means literally, it comes out, the root word is histomy to stand up, 
which is the word for resurrection, to stand up. And uh, the concept here in this word means that he not only raised you up, but now listen to this, but that he keeps you raised up. Now that's security. That's eternal salvation uh, right there. He keeps you. He holds you and keeps you up. Now, let me walk through what he's talking about in this. What exactly did he do in that? Well, he comes and he says this down in verse five. When we were dead, you, you, you see that again? He goes back and he picks up that theme in verse one. When we were dead, we were dead in our transgressions, in our sins. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, have you been saved? He's given you an introduction into verse eight. How are you raised? By grace, you've been saved. And then he comes back. He raised us up with him. That's Jesus Christ. He raised us up with him. That is just an unbelievable thought. That is, I was dead in my sins and my trespasses. Now the old word is quickened. He quickened us. He made us a lot. It, it conveys this immediate spark of life. He quickened us. He raised us up. Now, let me talk to you about that. What did he raise up? He raised your spirit up. He came and he immediately, when you trusted in Jesus Christ, raised you up spiritually. Now, he's going to raise your body up eventually. There's coming a day when Jesus Christ will come for his church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together uh, with them. You're going to get together with all of your loved ones in the air to meet the Lord. And thus, Paul says, we shall ever be. That's where we'll be. One day, that's going to happen. If you die before he comes back, he's going to raise your body up but he has already raised your spirit up. Now listen to this. When you die, what happens to you? Your spirit immediately goes to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Your spirit is not going to die. It's already been raised. That's what he's saying. I don't have to wait. I've already begun in a sense to live eternal life. Oh, man, it's just, y'all come back at six when you're wide awake. Listen, do you understand that? When death grabs a hold of me, I'm not going to die. You say, well, your body's going to die. Well, that's not, this is just a shell. This is just a clay pot, Paul says. It need, listen, at some point, it needs to die. but I'm not going to die. My spirit's not going to die. Why? Because it's been made alive by Jesus Christ, you see. Well, you, you will really like that if you'll remember it about five seconds before you die. That'll give you some relief, I promise you. That's what he has done for us. The second thing that he has done for us is this. He has seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. Look at this. He says... Uh, here, raised us up with him 
and seated us. By the way, do you notice these are all past tense? It hasn't happened yet. I mean, my body hasn't been raised up. I've not been, but as far as God is concerned, I'm already seated with him. And I can't remember who said it, whether it was John R.W. Stott or whether it was um, um, uh, Sinclair Ferguson or one of these guys that I'm reading as I work through Ephesians. But one of them said, if you're seated in heaven, it is for sure you're seated on a throne. I just threw that in there. That's for free. But we're seated there. Now you say, well, why does he say that? He, he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because God right now sees you, whoever you are, but you have trusted in his son for your eternal salvation. He sees you already seated in heaven next to his son, son Jesus Christ. And understand, what has he just said about Christ? He said he has taken everything, chapter 1. Remember, this is really still flowing out of the power of God. If you want to see the power of God, how is God going to do all of this? I gave you the four things, the power of God in Jesus Christ last week. We looked at that. This now continues with the power of God in us. That uh, part of the power of God in Christ is that he's going to take everything and he's going to move it all together and he's going to stick it under the feet of Jesus Christ. All of those powers, all of those rulers, all of those administrators, all of these uh, demonic forces, he's going to put under the feet of Jesus Christ. Now, do you think that meant anything to the Ephesians who lived in a city? That was a center for the occult, for the worship of demons. In fact, let me do this. Let me just go back to Acts chapter 19 and uh, verse 19. And listen, many of those who practice magic brought their books together. This is, this is when Paul was in Ephesus and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. That's, uh, that's millions of dollars, by the way. I'll try to get you an accurate price on it, but that's millions of dollars. They had books on the occult. In fact, I read what the, the name of the book was this. Ephesios Grammata, the Ephesian writings. It was a book telling you how to practice the occult. Now, these Ephesians lived in that, under that dark cloud there of the occult. And listen, Paul has just said that God's taking all of that and all of those, and he's putting it under the feet of Jesus Christ. And you are seated by him in the heavenlies. Do you know what that says to me? That says to me, everything that has bothered you, hurt you, tripped you, caused you to fail, caused you to fall, caused you to stumble, every slight, every difficulty, all of those things are going to be put under the feet of Jesus and you will be seated next to him and you'll look at all of that for eternity and say, that used to be, but not anymore. Well, that's what he did. <laughs> that's what he did. But now I want to show you why he did it. Go back to verse 4. 
And look at this. Why did he do that? Verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy. Mercy happens to be, in the Old Testament, it's the word hesed. I just uh, was writing uh, the devotion for in the morning, mornings with Mac, and dealing out of the book of Ruth, dealing with this whole thing of the way Boaz is treating Ruth with hesed. It's used over 250 times in the Old Testament. It speaks of God's loving kindness, his mercy. Those are, those are kind of interchangeable, but it is far more than just love. It is a deep, deep loving. And it is far more than just kindness. It is an expressive, uh, loyal, everlasting type of kindness. That is the hesed of God. That is the love of God. That's the mercy of God. Mercy and grace are not the same thing. Grace, we often say, is, is you not getting what you deserve. Mercy is you getting what you don't deserve. The compassion of God, I don't deserve it. Uh, the long-suffering of God, I sure don't deserve that. All of the mercies, the sympathy, the empathy, the care, the kindness of God, I don't deserve any of that, but that's the mercy of God. He lavishes it on us. He comes and he lavishes that mercy on us. And the second thing is this, is that he loves us. We're told because of his great love with which, now this, if you don't think this isn't emphatic, because of his great love with which he loved us, he has caused his love to fall on us. He has caused his love to be captivated uh, by us. He has, he has caused his love to surround us. He has caused his love to love us. That's basically what it's saying. He has made his great love love us. That's why Paul writes in Romans 5, 5, that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit that was given to us. God has just poured his love and poured his love and poured his love into us. You know, I'm, I don't always, you know, deal with people in troubled situations, marital situations, but I'm always faced with a lot of relationships ending either by death, either by a partner divorcing, either by somebody just going into an emotional shell, all of these things. I fell in love with Debbie. I, I honestly think the first time I saw her. That took her a lot longer. Um, but I fell in love with her. I can remember seeing her come in right now into the choir practice room and youth choir, and I fell in love with her when I saw her. And now being married for 43 years, 44 this year, I love her deeper and in ways I didn't understand as a silly 18-year-old. I don't mean, I was silly. I'm not saying all 18-year-olds are silly. I was silly at 18, at 17, 16, 15, at 20. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, never, I never knew 
Listen, folks, this is what Paul is praying. If the eyes of your heart, in other words, if your understanding could wrap around how much God loves you and has demonstrated it to you in salvation, it would change completely the way you live your life. He's going to talk to us about that. He's going to come over here and he's going to implore us that we walk worthy in a manner of the calling with which we have been called. He's going to say, if you could just realize the greatness of God's love for you, for you, his mercy, his love, and how that brought you out from being a trophy of hell. He says you would live your life completely different. And so he ends this by saying in verse 7, he comes and he says this. He says, so that in the ages to come, he's done this. Why? That he might show the surpassing, to show, to demonstrate. The word literally means to put on display, to put you on display as the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Patrick Mahomes is going to play tonight. I think we all would say that's a safe assumption. He and his wife last year after they won the Super Bowl, um, Kansas City, moved into the new home that they had been building. I think they'd been building it for three years. Um, and they moved into their home and she gave a huge dinner party in order to show their new home off. I mean, it's unbelievable. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of it. I, I went on looking for it uh, this weekend, just looking to see this indoor swimming pool, indoor basketball court. Well, she, we got two of them. Ain't got anything on us, you know. <laughs> Um, it, indoor, indoor swimming pool, indoor um, basketball court, all of this stuff indoor. He has got outdoor, he's got a par three uh, golf hole from tee to the green. He's got in this huge pond that they've built and put in. He's got in a 50 yard immaculately placed football field, 50 yard. Got his initials right in the middle of the thing. You know, it's lined off. It's just unbelievable. Nobody has written about that stuff. You know what they've talked about? They've talked about his display case and the trophies that he has won. All the stuff that he won through high school, all the stuff that he won through college. But now he has won two Lombardi trophies, three ESPY trophies, two NFL MVP trophies, and he may be a third one tonight. Uh, very possible. He's won an offensive person, a player of the year trophy, plus the trophies that he's had from other sports that he's got. Just, and that's what they all went in there to take pictures of. That's what went viral. That's what all is all over the internet are all of these trophies that this, how old is he? He's not even 30 yet, is he? 20, 27, 28. <laughs> oh, God. Can you just imagine at that age what the trophies will be one day in his life? And every 
trophy that we have will burn up. But you and I will become the trophies of Almighty God. And for the ages to come, Jesus will direct the devils of hell down the hallway of God's trophy cases and he'll point to you and to me and to others and say, there is the trophy of my grace. Let's stand and pray about that. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.